This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Hello, everybody. Good morning, and welcome back to Teachers Talk Radio. It's been a couple of weeks since I've had the pleasure of bringing you my dulcet tones, and this week we are going to be talking about Grammar SOS. Is your work accurate? Let's talk it out, share some tips, grab a cuppa. I'm here for an hour. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Thursday morning break with me, Holly Kingmand. I'm thrilled to be back. I really do love coming to do my shows on Teachers Talk Radio, bringing you those interesting, maybe slightly niche topics. Um, and this week is no different. Uh, this week we are talking grammar SOS. Are you somebody that notices every little grammar error that everybody else is everybody else makes? Do you correct people when they make grammar grammar errors? Or are you somebody that frantically checks their work for errors, mistakes, worries about it? Or actually, are you just really not that bothered? You'd rather just get your work out, uh, get your letters to parents or emails to the head teacher out without too much fuss or worry. Uh, whichever sort of uh, writer you are, maybe there'll be something in today's show for you. So uh, what we're going to start with today is uh, just talking through a couple of grammar rules that might actually save you a bit of time in the future having to look them up. So frequently we get words that sound very similar but might have one letter different uh, mixed up and it can in fact change the whole meaning of something that you've written. A common one is effect with an A and effect with an E. Do you know which way round they go? What about stationary? Stationary with an A-R-Y or stationary with an E-R-Y? Do you know the difference? Uh, There's also practice with an S-E on the end or a C-E on the end. Now, these are some of the most common ones. There are lots. Um, But these are the ones that tend to catch most of us out, even English specialists. Sometimes I have to double check uh, myself. These are common mistakes. So let's start with effect with an A and effect with an E. Uh, So when you use effect with an A, it's a verb. So you're using it. uh, It functions in your sentence as a, a doing word. And it means, of course, to have an impact on something else. So you might use it in a sentence as, um, I felt the effect of the high temperatures. That would be with an E. I was affected by the high temperatures. That would be with an A. There you go. Look, correcting my own own work right here, live on the radio. Um, And if you were using it with an E, that would make it a noun. So um, a person, a place or a thing. So you might say, uh, the fireworks created a beautiful effect with an E. So that's the difference between those two. 
Um, if you've got any great tips on how to remember the difference, so if you've got um, a way of remembering which one is A and which one is E, do get in touch. You can join the conversation today on Teachers Talk Radio by using the hashtag um, TT Radio 2022. Or of course, you can tag me at Holly's Classroom on Twitter and at Holly's underscore classroom on Instagram. I'd love to know not just your top tips for working out uh, the difference and remembering the differences between effect with an A and effect with an E. Um, but any grammar tips, would love to hear them. Uh, so let's have one more before we speak to our first guest today. So what about stationary and stationary? Now, if you are very particular and very eloquent, you might have a slight pronunciation difference between these two words. Uh, stationary with an A um, means to be um, unmoving and stationary with an E-R-Y of course, means pens, paper, all of those delicious things that us teachers love spending all of our money on, uh, particularly in the run up to the start of the new school year. So how do you remember the difference or do you just have it in your brain ready to go? I know I struggle with this one quite often because I often write that I'm a stationary aficionado. <laughs> and I do mean, of course, the one with the E, referring to pens, pencils, highlighters, fountain pens, rubbers, sharpeners, paper chase in general. Um, but I often make the mistake of using the A version, which of course means to be unmoving. Now, I suppose in some ways I am also a stationary aficionado. Uh, so I do like just sitting still and calm, but uh, that, that of course is not what I intended with that sentence. And uh, a great tip that came from Michelle Weaving, who is an A-level tutor on social media. She said, a great way to remember this is to remember that E, might stand for envelope and uh, you might have a system for remembering that the A means um, to be unmoving or immobile. Um, but that's a great top tip. So next time you are stressing out, have you spelt it correctly? You don't have your phone or a dictionary to hand. You might recall that top tip there and remember that the E stands for envelope. Okay, right, that's effect, effect, stationary, stationary, both signed, sealed and delivered. I think it's time we got our first guest. And uh, this is this is a great conversation actually with my first guest today because um, she really is an expert. And now I welcome Isabel Kent, who is an editor and proofreader of um, children's books. So you really are um, an expert on today's topic. Welcome, Isabel. Morning. So um, why don't you start by telling us a little bit about um, how you got to your job and um, what, what it entails? Well, yeah, I've obviously always been interested in books. Um, I wouldn't have this job if I wasn't. Um, but I did uh, start as a primary school librarian and it was during that time I thought this is a really rare and quite privileged position. I think I need a second string to my bow. And uh, so I did start to have a little look at what other things I could do to uh, combine my knowledge of books, of reading, of reading for pleasure, of teaching children. 
Um, and also I have a degree in music, so that ended up being very relevant. Um, so yeah, I had a look around, did lots of research, did lots of training, and uh, eventually was in a position to do this full time. Wonderful. Sounds great. So what, what are the actual bones of your, your job? What do you do on a day-to-day sort of, uh, -day or weekly basis? Sure. Well, I do... Um, I do proofread. Uh, so by that, what I mean is that I'm looking at the uh, proofs for children's books at the very, very last stage, the stage literally before they press print and send it off. So um, <laughs> that's really exciting. But what I enjoy most about that, actually, is I do a lot of picture books, children's picture books. And there's so much involved in proofreading the pictures as well as proofreading the text. So I'm on a bit of a mission at the moment to ensure that books get proofread earlier so they get a kind of final edit before we get to this proofread stage because of course by that point if you're spotting errors and you've paid your illustrator you're you you know you could be in quite a lot of trouble uh, and it means that you have to make compromises and that's not what we want with a book that's going to be put in front of children so what sort so that, of things do you, you uh, with the i'm really interested now in these so in the pictures so what sort yes. of things are you looking for that are not quite right um it could be quite um obvious physical things that are wrong so for example somebody's put a picture in back to front um you know say you're looking at um a particular scenario that you know would always be a certain way such as um a knife and fork and a spoon being laid out for example you can tell straight away if that's been flipped accidentally um there can be all kinds of things around um, what's missing, but also what could be. Um, let me give you an example. Uh, we would be looking at ethnicity and diversity. We'd be looking at inclusion in terms of ensuring that uh, disability is represented in a very uh, implicit way, not an explicit way, yeah. um, to make sure that if a child is sat in a wheelchair, we know that it's the right wheelchair for the child. And it's not just stock photos or an illustrator that's done the best they can with whatever knowledge they've got. Um, we're looking at pulling apart stereotypes. We're making sure that text is legible so that everyone can read it, um, not just a fraction of the community. And remembering that it's not just children reading these books, it's adults reading the books to the children. And they have the same variation and the spectrum of diversity that we would see in children. So we're actually writing books for everybody. It's really important. I was listening to one of your podcasts um, this morning about colour blindness. And that's one of the things that I test for uh, when I see a book cover, for example, because obviously it can look so different if you don't have yeah. the same visual uh, abilities or uh, whatever as somebody else. I had so no important. idea that... Um the difficulties that colorblind people have were so pronounced. Uh, when Steve Anthony was telling me about um, book covers and posters, and he said, you know, if illustrators or, you know, designers had any understanding of colorblindness, they would they would completely scrap what they've done and go completely yeah. back to the, you know, the drawing. And you see it a lot. You see it a lot in um, uh, reading scheme books as well, which haven't been through a colorblindness simulator. And when you start looking at it through the eyes of different variations of sight, you realise actually there's quite a few quite obvious things that you could do differently if you had that knowledge at the very beginning. 
So actually, although I deal with a lot of proofreading and looking for those errors and looking for mistakes and all kinds of things that may have been introduced at the last minute, um, I've also um, very keen to um, facilitate networking among children's authors so they have this information at the very, very beginning of the process so that it is all completely embedded in the way they think when they're generating ideas and working them through it right at the very beginning at that developmental stage. That's really exciting. And is that quite an, a new movement or, you know, is, is it or have people always been trying to um, sort of share that knowledge and ensure that that's happening from the, from the start? I don't know, uh, is the honest answer, <laughs> which in itself is <laughs> it's one of those things, isn't it, with proofreading that you do have to actually say sometimes I don't know. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> but um what I'm seeing at the older books, do you see lots of mistakes and just think, oh my goodness, like, do people just have no idea? Uh, so much? It's really hard to answer that because there is more than one person going through this process. It's a team. And I think publishing in general is starting to wake up to a lot of these things. But obviously, budget constraints have a lot to do with it. And time has a lot to do with it. Um, I think because of the quantity of what I'm seeing at proofreading stage, there's definitely a need for it earlier on. And when you look back to older books, I think you've always got to remember you're looking at a book that was published of its time. Yeah. And there's so many other factors to consider there uh, that in order to answer that question, I think we'd have to unpick quite a lot about that would be a, a book. whole new show in itself. Yeah. <laughs> That would be a show for another day and maybe I'll come back to you and we'll we'll um we'll unpick that one. But um let's talk about today's main topic, of course, which is grammar, spelling, punctuation and grammar. Um, mm. So when you are proofreading, you say that at the moment it's like the, the, the very final stages that you're proofreading. Is it normally ship shape by that point or do you come across quite a lot of errors? Um, it should <laughs> be almost perfect. Um, but the whole point of proofreading and getting somebody else involved in that process is that you get to the point where you can't see the wood for the trees. Yeah. And you have to get somebody else's fresh eyes on it. So yeah, there, there will be mistakes. And you can look at something and you can see, oh, I can see exactly how that happened. You know, I would do that myself. And you have to remember, you know, we're all human. I might have the job as a proofreader and I might be in proofreader mode when I'm looking at something. But outside of my working day, I make mistakes the same as everybody else because your brain tricks you and you need the fresh eyes on it. So, yes, I mean, I will see all kinds of things. I'll see um, words substituted like stationary, stationary. Yeah. Uh, lots of there, there and there, <laughs> which is all Goodness very me. familiar, I know. <laughs> um, you know, you have to watch out for the ones that are a typo, which can completely change the whole sense of what you're doing. And they fall through, they slip through the, the spell checker. So you can't rely on that. The worst one I think that gets uh, mentioned quite a lot is the difference um, between public and pubic. You know, you can have quite a serious yeah. change of sense if you're missing that one letter out. And, and another favorite of mine is bar council and bra council. So, you know, these are ones that you really do need to pick up. Yeah, you don't really so, want to be left with that mistake in a children's book, do you? Certainly not, no, certainly not. So yeah, all kinds of things like that. Lots of punctuation mistakes. Um, I think that's really, really common. Um, 
but they can be detailed punctuation, which is um, beyond what you might learn in school. They can be industry standard things. So that is completely understandable. And, and another reason why you need that proofreader. Really, if, you know, if someone is, their spelling, punctuation and grammar learning happened in school and then there's an industry standard that they haven't come across, then yeah, like you say, that would be completely expected, wouldn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And the thing is, you know, as a proofreader, you're there to just polish it. You're there to be that final, um, you know, stage in the process. And you're not there to kind of mark their work or <laughs> anything like that, which is a, just such a misconception. And with that whole editorial process leading up to this point, it is very much about uh, supporting the author, supporting um, and treating it as a partnership. Um, yeah, terrible misconception that we're there to mark, we're not. We're there to enhance your voice and give the reader the smooth reading experience that you want them to get so that they get the very best of your work. Yeah. And do you ever look at a sentence and think, that's a bit clunky? I yeah. think it would be better if it's like in a completely different order. Yeah. Now, if uh, you do, does that sort of take away from a writer's um, own sort of style? Voice. Yeah, their own voice. Um, I think if you're editing, you you get into the zone of the writer's voice and you start to appreciate what they would say if they hadn't, you know, ended up with the sentence the way it was. And you can find a way of unpicking it and then putting it back together that sounds natural and flows within everything else that's around it. But that would definitely be an editorial stage before proofreading when you get to that proofreading point you're actually trying to change as little as possible because there can be real financial implications for everything you change it can really change the typesetting it can start to involve pulling other people back into that process again and as soon as you do that you have to pay them so it is definitely about only doing what needs to be done but if a sentence is so clunky that you think actually this is going to stop the reader enjoying it or perhaps even stop them reading full stop then you can make a recommendation and then the publisher would make a decision whether or not that is worthy yeah. of change yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah um so have you got any great tips for I know you said you have some experience with teaching and being in school so you'll know that it's a yeah. busy high pressure job um and you know even English specialists make mistakes I do yeah. I do it quite a lot on social media as well and I get people who send me messages directly and say I didn't want to comment in case it was rude um, but at least they're sending you message. yeah at least they're sending you a private message though I think that is the most important thing that to acknowledge that we all make mistakes and it's the little quiet ones that say I hope you don't mind me saying but I've just spotted something and then you're like oh thank goodness for that thank you very much and you're there in solidarity it's the ones that call it out publicly that I think <laughs> yeah, you know, the there. yeah and um you know I'm in a similar position in that you're expected to get it right all the time when you're a teacher because you're teaching the children and I'm expected to get it right all the time because it's my job as a professional but we are human mm. and you know we're all at the mercy of our brain's trickery and we're all strapped for time and we all live in a world of natural variation where we have different things to manage in terms of getting this right you know lots of different neurodiversities and some teachers are dyslexic some teachers will be grappling with working memory some teachers will be so tired you know actually probably most teachers yeah so um 
Yeah, I, and as a proofreader, I have the luxury of being able to read something several times and take a different pass. And each time I do it, I'm looking for something different. As a teacher, you're lucky if you get a chance to read it through once, aren't you? So it's very different. So a few things that I think are really helpful. One, if you have the time, read it out loud. Read it aloud and you'll see where you pause. You'll see where you stumble and then you can make that change. If you have time and the luxury of another person, get them to read it to you, or you can use software to read it back to you. Um, mainstream software has that facility. So that will help if you can put up with the quite robotic voice. <laughs> um, but the thing I think is the best one for a last minute, or oh, I've got you know 10 minutes and then I'm gonna have to present this or deliver it or whatever, is to change the font. So finish what you're doing, select all, change the font and what happens is it tricks your brain into having to try a bit harder and to look at things in a slightly different way and you will have a different level of, of being able to spot those mistakes you can always change it back again at the end but it's um it's a really nice quick one so you don't have to you know invest any more time you can just read it through again different font brilliant done it you know those are probably going to be okay <laughs> those are really good um practical quick tips there those are, are brilliant because i do a little bit of writing for magazines and online publications and yeah. um my standard of grammar is not perfect at all but it's better than my husband's so if i ask him to read through something he'll say yeah yeah it's fine it's lovely well done um but he's not really looking at it with the same eagle eyes that i would or you would or you know or any other but um, he could read it back it, to you. Yeah, that's. but I'm going to do that. And I'm also going to change the font as well, because sometimes when I see, so I get my copy of The Week Junior through the door and yeah. I read my article and I think, oh, gosh, that bit's clunky. And, oh, I wish I hadn't used that word. or I, I could have done better in that paragraph there. Um, but and, you've had the luxury of leaving it a while and that's what teachers don't have. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean... I don't know what advice you'd give, you'd give to a teacher that was in a rush on the go with a, I mean, lots of the parents that commented on my post on Facebook asking mm. about grammar mistakes. And um, there were quite a few parents saying, oh, you know, we, we frequently received letters from school that clearly hadn't been um, proofread and they were, you know, full of errors. Um, what can teachers of schools do in that case? find someone to proofread, I, mean, I guess is the yeah most. it's finding the time isn't it I mean I used to proofread uh, when I was working in school I used to proofread other people's work they used to come to me but then they knew that that was part of what I did outside of school um just getting fresh eyes on something even if it is somebody just reading through quickly before it goes out they will probably spot something run the spell checker obviously don't think you know better than the spell checker until you've absolutely checked everything that that pops up um, and, and, you know, as a proofreader and editor, I refer to resources all the time. And I have two really, really brilliant resources, one of which is a grammar one and one of which is uh, a spelling one. And it's a tiny little book. And somehow it knows all the things that you have to double check. And I was thinking that to myself, this is what teachers need. They just need a copy of this book. And it, it, this is the Oxford Dictionary for Writers and Editors. And it's tiny, look, I'll show you. You can't see this on the radio, but it is smaller than A5. And it just seems to know like a somebody very, Bible, very a intuitive has, has written this book, pulled it all together. So um, yeah, so I would say have your resources to hand, but 
you really do need fresh eyes on something because you just can't see the wood for the trees. Yeah, definitely. And maybe, you know, if there's um, any school leaders reading this, reading this, listening to this today, reading, I've got, I've got my, my <laughs> proof yeah. um, hat on now. Uh, if there are any leaders reading this, then, you know, maybe consider having someone whose job it is to check school letters and newsletters before they go out. In one school that I worked at, um, one of the senior members of staff, every single school letter had to go to, to her for yeah. checking before she would send it back to you with approval. And another yeah. school I, I worked at, I didn't even need to get permission to send a letter. I could just draft one, print it and hand yeah. it to the class. So It's very different. And I think that you have to remember that this is the public face of the school that's going out and to treat it in the same way as you would your school PR, your school brand, all of those kind of things. And to kind of elevate that and understand that having that investment and eye on it is actually going to help. Um, but yeah, it may well be that there are people that you could um, put on a training course or find some quite kind of low cost training for just so that they know what they're looking for because there's definitely an act to it there's so many different modes of of doing this you'll spot things quickly when you've had the training yeah um awesome thank you so much for sharing oh, you're welcome some, uh nuggets of wisdom and it's been lovely hearing about what you do as well um i'm i'm quite envious today i've, I've got lots of lesson planning to do but i'm I wish I was reading through uh, children's books and uh, <laughs> yeah, pictures. So yeah. jealous. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is my dare head. I've got two proofreads today. <laughs> oh, lovely. Well, enjoy. And um, thank you so much for speaking to Teachers Talk Radio. Hi, I'm Charlie Burley, the Teachers Health Coach. And I want to talk to you about the first ever health and wellbeing event for educators, Rewriting Wellbeing. It's a full day dedicated to improving your health as a teacher through looking at your nutrition, movement, mindset, workload and well-being in school. You'll hear from our incredible lineup of speakers including Andrew Cowley, Jen Foster, Kimberly Wilson, Simon Bolger and many more. There'll be talks, workshops and time to network with like-minded colleagues. We'll look after you all day with brunch, lunch and all the refreshments. You'll get to meet our incredible speakers and our amazing team of ambassadors from the education space. It's a non-profit event with all proceeds going to the amazing education charity EdSupport. This isn't one to miss. I look forward to seeing you there on the 22nd of October at Etc Venues St Paul's in London. You can search Rewriting Wellbeing on the Eventbrite website to find out more. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.witherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. Following the death of Queen Elizabeth II, the Department for Education has issued guidance for schools. The period of national mourning will continue until the state funeral, but the guidance makes it clear that schools should remain open during this time. Ofsted reports are paused, but inspections will go ahead. 
The update suggests that schools may want to consider conducting special activities, holding assemblies or adapting lessons to commemorate the life of Her Majesty. Whilst no official date has yet been set for the state funeral, many media outlets are suggesting Monday, September the 19th as a possible date. There is also speculation around whether the state funeral proceedings would be classed as a public holiday, something which would affect schools opening. Schools and other education settings across all four of the home nations have been involved in many events recognising the late Queen's 70 years of service to the United Kingdom and the Commonwealth, with many media outlets carrying details of how her passing has been acknowledged by young people across all areas. England's Secretary of State for Education, Kit Malthouse, acknowledged Her Majesty's devotion to public service. Northern Ireland's Michelle McKilveen referred to Her Majesty as a champion of education and an impeccable role model for children and young people, and someone who will be missed immeasurably. The last public appearance of the Queen was on Tuesday the 6th of September, when she appointed Liz Truss as Prime Minister. The new Prime Minister made cabinet announcements, including the appointment of Kit Malthouse as Secretary of State for Education. Mr Malthouse replaces James Cleverley in a year that has seen many ministers take up and then leave the role. Mr Malthouse was first elected in 2015 and is the MP for North West Hampshire. His previous experience has been with the Home Office and the Ministry of Justice. He studied politics and economics at Newcastle University and is a qualified chartered accountant. Mr Malthouse is married and has three children. After a year of turmoil, Mr Malthouse is likely to need to promote stability as quickly as possible within his department, while also taking steps to address the school funding crisis and issues brought about by further concerns around the cost of living. This has been Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week, if you haven't already gone, it's time to return to school. So, what tech advice do I have for you? This episode is aimed more at teachers newer to the profession, but there may also be something for those with more experience here too. Here are my top tips for returning to or starting a new school. First up, put your name on your power lead especially if your school uses the same laptops for lots of teachers. It's so easy to leave your power lead behind and then find it's been taken by someone thinking it's theirs. When moving between rooms, always close your laptop lid and remove power leads and USB drives. This can be a pain, but impact on a USB drive sticking out while in transit can stop the port working. Same goes for a power port. Modern computers are incredibly tricky to fix if these ports are damaged, and therefore, that will be the end of your laptop. If you're using USB drives, start moving into the cloud. If your school hasn't already banned them, they will be considering it due to the increased risk of viruses posed by using them. Always start your information management system as soon as you arrive. This is the software you take your register on. Don't leave it until it's time to take the register. This software updates regularly and can sometimes take a while, especially after a break when technicians have had the time to maintain your school system. Finally, one of my favourite shortcuts. If you don't know this, feel free to let me know I've changed your life. If you organise your internet bookmarks into folders, you can right-click on the folder and select Open All. This will open all of the web pages you'll be using in a lesson, saving you time and also making sure everything is loaded and ready to go. If this has given you food for thought, I'd love to hear from you. As we return to work, why not get in touch at TT Radio 2022, follow us and tell us what you want to know about tech. I'm Steve Woods. And that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. 
Hello, Kirsty. Thanks for speaking to Teachers Talk Radio today. So um, I understand that you've had a little grammar blooper in your career. I definitely have, yes, and I keep keep being reminded of it. Okay. Uh, <laughs> what um what phase do you do you teach? Um, I teach primary, so um, I tend to teach key stage two. So um, okay. normally about year four, year five. So. Lovely. So at that stage, their grammar is pretty good, usually. Yeah, usually. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, so why don't you tell us your grammar blooper story? Um, well, it's to do with spelling, actually. And I, I need to point out that I'm actually naturally a really good speller, but um, I seem to have a complete and utter block with spelling the word broccoli. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I never quite know whether it's uh, two C's and one L or two C's and two L. It, it just never looks right to me. Um, and I, well, I only really found out that I was spelling it incorrectly when a student did some writing, um, a writing piece and had the word broccoli in it. And I, it was eight years ago, so I can't actually remember what the context of it was. Um, and she'd actually spelt it correctly um and then i went out on marking it i spelt it incorrectly and then on a parents evening the the parents asked to take the books home to have a good book scrutiny um yeah and um i was busted basically and um she'd um yeah she'd clocked my my wrong spelling of broccoli and she was so, yeah, enraged by it that she wrote an email to the head teacher complaining about me. So, oh my goodness, you'd <laughs> think that they'd just say mistakes happen, or even just let you know, or maybe put a post-it note in the in the book and say, actually, my child got this right. But they Absolutely. actually wrote to the head teacher. Yes, and then I think it was the following morning that the the head teacher came up to it, and she she thought it was absolutely hilarious um, that she felt that it was justified to go to her with an email. But um, and actually, my um, my job share at the time thought it was absolutely hilarious, and when I left the school, um, she bought me broccoli themed leaving presents um <laughs> and one one of which actually was the book of i don't know if you've heard of it the astounding broccoli boy by um by frank cottrell boyce oh um, i haven't read it but i know of it um yeah <laughs> yeah so yeah so yeah highlight of teaching at that school really <laughs> <laughs> well it sounds like you got some good gifts out of it i did <laughs> and, a, and a massive broccoli floret so um <laughs> Did you put it in a vase? Yeah, yeah. I should have done, oh, shouldn't I? Hours, yeah. <laughs> and do you know how to spell broccoli now? Or does it no, I still, I still, I, I still make mistakes and I would still have to look it up because it's just one of those words that I have a complete mental block on. Yeah, I was talking to someone recently about when your, your neural pathway in your brain, when you make a mistake so frequently, and you're corrected so frequently that you you become incapable of remembering which way is the right way oh um, that happens a lot i think with spelling when you you know that you always get something wrong and you always correct it 
and then you just your brain is just like I just can't remember now I'm I'm done I'm never going to remember whether it's one way or the other definitely haven't but my daughter can actually spell it I was talking to her about it this morning and uh she was like well why don't you know how to spell it mummy (laughs) (laughs) and I'm not going to spell it now because I'm going to spell it wrong (laughs) I won't ask you to don't worry Um, mostly because I would I'm not sure either so I wouldn't be able to (laughs) correct you um either way so you'll just have to keep your daughter nearby if you ever need to write the word broccoli correctly absolutely absolutely Uh, Kirsty, thank you so much for talking to us on Teachers Talk Radio. It's been a nice, um, light-hearted deviation from talking about the more serious aspects of grammar. So thank you very much. Thank you. Well, that was just lovely, wasn't it? Um, like I said, a nice deviation from the more serious aspects of grammar. Um, but I am going to take the time now to return to some of the common grammar mistakes that us as teachers make. Uh, Whether you're an English specialist or not, you may well be making these mistakes. Uh, So practice is another one that we all uh, often, maybe you don't mix them up, um, but maybe you do take a moment when you write that word and think, have I got it right? Maybe there's a word I can use to substitute this because I'm not sure. Um, So practice can be spelt with an S-E on the end or with a C-E on the end. Now, uh, one of them is a verb and one of them is a noun. And um, the noun one is can be quite an abstract noun. So you might be talking about uh, your teaching practice, for example. And uh, in the other sense, as a practice, you could be talking about a, a doctor's practice in which case you might be using it more as a a physical noun. Uh, But there's also it being used as a verb. So if you practice the piano or if you practice your handwriting um, and the difference is with an S, it is a verb and with a C, it is a noun. Now, the way I always remember this is by thinking of the S uh, standing for the word sport. And that way I'm a lot more able to associate practice spelt with an S as being a verb, as a doing word. Sport is something you do, and that's how I connect the dots on that one. And I suppose teachers come across this word quite a lot. In in any subject, you might ask children to practice their spelling, practice their handwriting, um, practice their their annotation, practice their drawing, their colouring in, their times tables and uh, you might need to now (laughs) go back to all of your uh, powerpoints and double check that you've been getting that right hopefully you have if they are practicing something at home for the or for their homework then you would be using an s and it's rare uh, if you're when you're teaching children that you would use it um, as a as a noun rarely when it was younger children older children you might be talking about um, practice as an abstract noun uh, so there's practice and practice with an s and a c uh, now one that had people going wild on facebook was could have or could of and uh, should of uh, would of And of course, using of is not correct. It should be have. 
And uh, this mistake is made frequently. And the reason behind this mistake is because when um, could have is um, joined together, when it's contracted to say could have, so C-O-U-L-D apostrophe V-E, so could have as the contraction form of could have, it does sound a little bit like could of, could have, could of. And over time, um, people speak in that way and people write how they speak. And for that reason, we have of, but it is grammatically incorrect. So if you mean could have, should have, would have, um, then make sure you are saying have and not of. So, shall we have one more? Let's have one more. Uh, so, another one that has had people going wild on social media uh, was fewer and less. Now, the reason this one um, created um, a bit of a furore amongst the my followers on social media is because um, a very popular top end of the of the supermarket market <laughs> uh marks and spencers uh when they changed their signs from five items or less to five items or fewer which is grammatically correct to say fewer and not less they received a big backlash people were not happy about it Oh, do Marks and Spencers feel like they're better than everybody else now? Um, and yes, they are if they're using the correct, the correct grammar. Uh, so the difference between using fewer and less, uh, less is when you're talking about uh, a measurement of something. Um, so you might have uh, less volume. Um, you might have less height. Um, if you're talking about items, so individual things, then you would say fewer. So I have got five milk bottles fewer than you. I'm starting to feel like a maths exam paper now. <laughs> so that's exam paper. Uh, no, not milk bottles. Uh, so the difference there, of course, is that fewer is referring to um, a, a specific number of items, whereas less is about... Um, a measurement or a portion of something. Um, so when you see that sign in the supermarket, five items or less, it is wrong. It's wrong. Um, and that did have people going wild. That one is often made. I, I've seen other teachers make that mistake. Um, and I don't actually frown upon other people making grammar mistakes. When I receive emails from um parents other teachers followers on social media and quite often they say oh I had to double check my email I was worried I would make some mistakes and honestly if I don't have a red pen in my hand or green or pink or whatever the school at the time has stipulated I should mark with um, if I don't have a marking pen in my hand I'm not really looking for mistakes I'm not really spotting them I don't naturally spot them in messages and emails I'm just drawing the information from what people have, have sent to me. So if you are ever composing an email to me or a message, don't worry. Don't waste your time on, on fine tuning what you've written. Uh, just get it over to me. Everybody's short of time these days um, and teachers more than anyone. Um, and it's similar to what Isabel Kent, the proofreader, said at the start of the show that um, 
she hasn't always got her proofreader hat on and you know we are all human we are we are we are all capable of making mistakes and one mistake that I made myself on social media about a year and a half ago um, was posting a picture of uh, my pregnant self after doing a live storytelling event saying haven't I gotten I think I said haven't I gotten look how big the bump has gotten and um, I received <laughs> countless messages saying, I can't believe you're an English teacher and you've said gotten. That's grammatically incorrect. And I absolutely panicked. Of course, I had to go and look it up. And um, it is an Americanism. It is grammatically correct to use it in English, but it's not favourable. Uh, we do like to do things a little bit different in British English, don't we? A bit more proper. And so I have now avoided using gotten. <laughs> Uh, every opportunity. And I have to admit, when I feel like I want to use it, I am quickly thinking, what could, how could I rewrite this sentence to rewrite the word gotten out of it? I don't want to use it. I don't want to think of what the alternative is. I don't want to use it. Um, so if you're using gotten, like me, maybe it might be because you watched lots of American children's television when you were a child I know I was a big fan of things like Saved by the Bell uh, showing my age there uh, it might also be that you were heavily influenced by Shakespeare who uses words like gotten and in fact any mishmashed word that he he quite liked really he was um, famous for that sort of thing uh, so don't be too hard on yourself if you are using gotten um, or any other Americanisms. And just think about when you use those words. There, there's certainly a time and a place. And for me, as an English teacher, as a public figure, probably shouldn't be using those um, in my blog posts on social media. But there you have it. Uh, so we've covered some common um, mistakes, grammar, spelling, punctuation mistakes today. We've had some insight and feedback from a proofreader. We've had one teacher's hilarious broccoli blooper. Um, and I think what has come from this is that everybody does make mistakes and it's perfectly acceptable to make a mistake and correct it. And if you're able to, you can proofread your own work if you have enough time. Uh, now, Isabel Kent gave us lots of great um, tips for how we could do that very quickly on the go in our classrooms. But there are some other places you can access really good, um, good help and support. So uh, one that I use, I have no connection to them. And I'm, I'm, I'm not I'm not sponsoring them or they're not sponsoring me or anything like that. But I love Grammarly. I, found gra I find Grammarly really, really helpful. Um, it has lots of sort of app type things that can give you an automated uh, check of your work before you even if your social media posts before you post them maybe I should download the app I don't actually use the app um, it's you it, it has a plagiarism checker which might be good to use with your students if you've got older students and they're submitting essays and such like particularly GCSE students those are the ones that think they can get away with it don't they um, it has a tone detector so there are lots of things that uh, you can use there. But what I tend to use it mostly for is just the no nonsense, simple explanations. And um, I, I believe Grammarly is an American uh, site, an American organization, but they do always cover the difference between British and American English. So um, 
so that aspect is covered so yeah might be a good one for you to check out if if it's something that you need and also of course there was that oxford english dictionary for writers editors and proofreaders that isabel mentioned uh, that sounds like a great thing to have on your desk whether you're an english specialist or not so uh we are going to go to this week's news and uh and then we'll be back for a quick goodbye before we finish up for today's show hi i'm charlie burley the teacher's health coach and i want to talk to you about the first ever health and well-being event for educators rewriting well-being it's a full day dedicated to improving your health as a teacher through looking at your nutrition movement mindset workload and well-being in school You'll hear from our incredible lineup of speakers, including Andrew Cowley, Jen Foster, Kimberly Wilson, Simon Bolger, and many more. There'll be talks, workshops, and time to network with like-minded colleagues. We'll look after you all day with brunch, lunch, and all the refreshments. You'll get to meet our incredible speakers and our amazing team of ambassadors from the education space. It's a non-profit event with all proceeds going to the amazing education charity, EdSupport. This isn't one to miss. I look forward to seeing you there on the 22nd of October at Etc. Venues, St. Paul's in London. You can search Rewriting Wellbeing on the Eventbrite website to find out more. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.withaslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. This is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. With schools across all four home nations due to close on Monday the 19th of September as part of the plans for the funeral of Queen Elizabeth II, much of this week's news is set to focus on issues away from reflections and remembrance of the UK's longest serving monarch. In Scotland, the largest teaching union has voted to go on strike in a dispute over pay. The Educational Institute of Scotland, known as EIS, rejected a 5% pay offer following a ballot. The EIS announced on Friday the 16th of September that 91% of the responses to the consultative ballot had voted in favour of strike action. 94% of votes were also in favour of rejecting the 5% pay offer. 78% of all union members responded to the ballot. The union, which represents 8 out of 10 Scottish teachers, will reject the offer next week and move to a statutory ballot on strike action. EIS General Secretary said, Teachers have simply had enough of the year-on-year struggle to achieve a fair pay settlement. She went on to say that 5% offer represents a real terms cut of 7%. Scottish teachers have previously been offered rises of 2% and 3.5% before the offer of 5%. The AIS said teachers' request for 10% was fair and reasonable. The Times has released its 2023 Good University Guide with many media outlets from across the home nations reporting on the standings. With student debt now averaging around £50,000, it's more important than ever that young people research and find the right institution and course for them. The list includes profiles of 135 universities across Britain and uses data published by institutions in the last two months. 
the University of Bath is named University of the Year. Whilst it ranks eighth in the overall list, up from ninth in 2021, it won the award due to its strength across the board. Exeter was runner-up in this category, with Birmingham, Oxford and Surrey also shortlisted. Whilst Oxford misses out on the University of the Year award, it has again topped the league table, a position it has held for the past 12 years. St Andrews in Scotland was ranked second. Durham University was named Sports University of the Year thanks to its collegiate structure which encourages high levels of participation. The full list can be found by subscribing to the Times website. And finally, 250 former students at Bedford's Training College were awarded honorary degrees and reunited by the University of Bedfordshire this week. The graduates, now in their 60s, 70s, 80s and 90s, attended the college between 1940 and 1978. The college, known in later years as the Bedford College of Physical Education, held a special ceremonies to celebrate sport and lifelong learning through physical activity. Most of the recipients have taught PE in schools, universities and local communities over the decades. In a week where service to others has been at the forefront of reflections about Her Majesty the Queen, the college has recognised the service and dedication of its former students. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week I'm going to talk about a social media post we regularly see. It goes something like this. I'm trying to show my class the reach of social media. Please reply with where you are in the world. Personally, I love this post and to honor it, I'm going to try it myself with a slight twist. I'm going to use the insert 3D map in Excel to show all of the places in the reply on a map of the world. It's so easy to do. You simply put a title in a new column, for example, towns, and then add all of the place names below. Finally, click insert and choose 3D map. If it's the first time you're using it, you'll need to follow a few prompts to get it working, but you'll be greeted with a 3D map of the world with a little square pinning all of the places you typed in. If you don't use Excel, don't worry. You can do the same in Google Maps by clicking on directions and adding every place as a waypoint on a journey. This is a great way of showing pupils the reach of social media posts in a way that they can visualize. I'll post the final map next week so you can use it with your pupils and save you a job. So what are you waiting for? Reply to my tweet or tell at TT Radio 2022 where you you are and tag me in at Steve Woods one to one. Next week I'll post the results. TZ Radio 2022. Follow us and tell us what you want to know about tech. I'm Steve Woods and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. I just uh, made myself laugh then because. I was like, oh, I just love tech guy. That's such a great idea. I'm going to do that. Um, and I feel like I say that every single week um, because, I mean, let's face it, the, the advice is just sterling from tech guy. So thank you very much for that. And I hope you'll all use it. Just thinking how useful that might be for a whole range of different things that that I do as part of my work and my, my teaching and my business. Uh, right, so we're at the the end of, of this week's show. Um, I've thoroughly enjoyed bringing you some of these top grammar tips hope you find them useful um i hope you take away the the message that everyone is human and makes mistakes especially me so please don't come at me on social media if i've made a mistake or do do um just not too not too hard and heavy on me please uh often i am composing posts while i've got you know a one and a half year old climbing on me 
a three-year-old demanding that I get her some snacks and a, a nearly five-year-old asking me what does let what sound does this letter make so um I am frequently multitasking when I am composing those posts for my social media channels but there you go we're all busy um and that's life these days isn't it so uh I will be back next week uh, I've got three or four different shows in the pipeline. Uh, one is uh, looking at how diversity is represented in children's literature. Um, I'm also trying to get back some of our previous uh, short callers to talk in more detail about their ideas. So you might remember uh, Ros from a few weeks ago when we discussed education secretary for a week. What would you do? She had some real interesting insight into. Um, how learning can be made more accessible with technology. So it'd be good to get Ross back. And of course, absolutely fascinated by Isabel's job today. I want to get her back so I can pick her brain and maybe I can uh, <laughs> leave teaching for good and um, do something with children's books. That would be fabulous. Right, um, that's it for today. There are some great shows from my colleagues lined up. Don't forget to tune into those. You can follow us so that you never miss a show. You can follow us on Twitter, or on Instagram. Um, and if you're a fan of Twitter, we've got some great Twitter spaces coming up and, and you can get really involved in those. Um, I'm still to have my first live chit chat on Twitter spaces. There have been many times where I've went to press the button and then um, just you know child screaming at me has, has pulled me away from that <laughs> not a child in the classroom I might add one of my own at home anyway thank you so much for joining me today it's been a pleasure thank you to all of my lovely guests and I look forward to seeing you all or speaking to you all again next week You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.